0: Hi there, and welcome to Vineyard Church, Delaware County's podcast. My name is Michael Hanson. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and I am so glad that you have joined us for this week's message. I'm going to have a little bit more to say at the end, but for now, enjoy the teaching. Hey, good morning. If you're visiting, we're really glad you're here. Hope you, seriously, hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving and, uh, um, and all the festivities, etc. Four weeks out from Christmas uh, here at the Vineyard means we're moving into the season of Advent. And depending on your church background, you know, if you're raised in a more traditional church, Catholic, Lutheran, Anglican, uh, you're probably more familiar with the different uh, seasons, the different church seasons throughout the, throughout the year. We have Advent, Christmas, Epiphany, Lenten, Easter, Pentecost, my birthday in August, uh, sort of the high holy days of the year. But here at the Vineyard, we traditionally focus on uh, the seasons of Lent, which are 40 days leading up to Easter, and then Advent, of course, the four weekends or four weeks leading up to Christmas. And both of these are seasons of preparation. In the season of Lent, it really is a time of of prayer, fasting, repentance, uh, a season of self-denial, really getting in touch with our our human condition and our need of of a savior. And then uh, Advent, it comes from the Latin word adventus, which means the coming or the arrival. And in Advent, we're preparing for the arrival of Jesus. Um, it's a season of focusing on and being encouraged by our belief that Jesus, the Son of God, He once came to earth as a little, as a little baby boy. Uh, that's Christmas, the first Advent. But then one day, He's going to return as a mighty warrior, a conquering king to uh, to destroy all evil and to make everything right in the world and that 's the the second advent, but until then we live between those two times the the uh, first and second advent and so advent really is a, a season, a short season to help us get in touch with our longing for his return for that second advent It, it really is a season of us getting in touch with the very real tension that every human being lives with, whether whether you call yourself a Christian or not, or whether you uh, would say you believe in God or not, I believe in the heart of every human being. There's, there's, there's something, there's this deep sense, like when we, when we look at uh, the world, the brokenness in the world, whether it's wars or natural disasters, um, you know, sickness, abuse, cheating, uh, addiction, all the stuff, there's something in the human heart when we see that there's something that goes off that says... I don't think it's supposed to be this way. And then when, when things are good, when, when there's a sense of love and hope and joy and peace, there's something in the human heart that goes, ah, that's it. That's how it's supposed to be. And of course, because we live in a broken world, that, uh, those feelings come and go, those, you know, which creates that, that tension. And uh, so we all... Every human being lives with that very real tension. And do you know where that tension comes from? Uh, one of the places it comes from, Ecclesiastes 3 verse 10 says this. It says, I have seen the burden God has placed on us all. Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. The Bible teaches that every human being on the planet... Has inside their heart a longing for eternity. A longing for heaven that that God put there, that was, that was planted there in our hearts. And I'm I'm convinced that a lot of our struggles in life, a lot of our disappointments in life come from, from that tension, that place, a, a longing for a place, a longing for a perfect place always wonderful existence, this place that we were, we were made for, uh, but we really struggle to find this side of heaven. And uh, on our own, we don't know how to get there, but thankfully, thankfully, we are not, uh, we're not on our own. And so Advent, this season that we're moving into, is a time to remember that, yes, we are longing. Yes, we are waiting for uh, the final return of Jesus, but we also, in this season, celebrate uh, that Jesus is already, he's already with us. So let's pray, and then I'll jump into uh, my talk for today. So Lord, uh, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for everyone who's here. Lord, I, I'm so grateful as I look around the room, just say, you know, you know everybody. You know what we're feeling right now. You know what we're thinking right now. I just pray uh, way beyond my words, Lord, would you come and and, and Powerfully, personally, meet with each one here. I, I thank you for your presence among us. We welcome you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, uh, you can see there on the screen. This year uh, we're gonna. Oh, there. You, well, you you've saw it. You saw it on the screen. I, I hope. But we're going to be looking at some Psalms as we move through Advent, and so we've entitled this series "The Psalms of Advent." And Psalms, you're probably familiar with that. It's an old. There we go. Thank you. It's an Old Testament. A uh, book. If you have a Bible, the Psalms are found in the middle of your Bible, and, and the Book of Psalms really is a song book. Uh, um, each Psalm, each song, written by someone in response to to whatever they, as an individual or they, corporately as a nation, were experiencing, were going through. Most of these Psalms uh, really touch on that tension. That, that I was referring to a little, a little earlier. And then, uh, again, most of these psalms, the goal of them would be reminding us to remember the presence and promises of God. And again, it's really good to remember that these psalms would have been sung. They would have been sung by the Jewish people when they gathered to worship. The book of Psalms totally captures the heart of the season of Advent. Listen to this quote. The central affirmation of the psalms is that God rules the world, a message also proclaimed and embodied by Jesus. Both the psalmists and the evangelists understood this message as both a present reality and as a reality yet to come. We talk about that a lot, the now and the not yet. This makes the psalms particularly appropriate for preaching during Advent. Advent is both a time to prepare to celebrate the birth of Jesus and to anticipate Jesus' second coming. Advent and the Psalms put us in a position of celebrating and waiting simultaneously. Okay, before I get to our Psalm for today, I want to ask you a question. Do you, do you think it's possible, like it says in that quote, do you think it's possible to live this life in a place, from a place of both celebrating and waiting at the same time? Do you think that's possible? Because I think that that's the tension I'm talking about, celebrating and waiting. Right? That's the tension that we all, we all struggle with. So, you know, and, and so I would say because that is the condition that we all live with this side of heaven, well then, well boy, it has to be possible then, doesn't it? So I want us as we move into our psalm to keep that question, uh, to keep that question in mind. So our psalm for today is Psalm 89. And it's the third longest psalm written by a guy named Ezra, the Uh, Sorry, Ethan, the Ezraite, and it's the only psalm uh, that this guy wrote that made it into the Bible. Uh, We don't know a lot about him. It's mostly believed that it was written uh, somewhere around the mid to late 500s BC, which means it would have been during the time written during the time of Israel's exile in Babylon meaning you know, Nate, uh, Israel has been you know, uh, overrun, their homeland has been overrun, and now all the Israelites have been uh, taken into captivity in a foreign land. And as we jump around in this psalm, you're gonna see that exile. You're gonna see that really played out in the flow and the uh, content of the psalm. Again, uh, 89, Psalm 89 is the third longest psalm after uh, Psalm 119, of course, and Psalm 78. So we're not going to read uh, the entire psalm. There are 52 verses, but I am going to start with sort of a 30,000-foot level flyover, just a breakdown of the psalm. Verses 1 through 4, is an, it's an introduction. And really, it's an introduction that totally sets the tone For all that the psalmist is going to uh, write in this song. Verses 5 through 18 goes into a beautiful hymn of praise to God. Verses 19 to 37, uh, we we look at God's promises to King David and to his uh, continued dynasty, his descendants. And then 38 to 51 is a section known as a lament. And a lament is uh, an expression of grief, an expression of sorrow, and we're going to look at that a bit more. And then the final verse, verse 52, is what's known as a closing doxology. And remember, and I'll say this a couple more times, remember that this is a song. Like this is something that the people, they would have sung, people who were in exile, people who've been taken, you know, a prisoner in a foreign land would have sung this song. So we're going to zoom in and work our way through it. But here's what I'm going to ask. Uh, when we read through it, I'm going to invite you to read with me, all right? Uh, we're not going to sing it, because I have no idea what melody <laughs> it was, but uh, but we are going to read it together. So here, let's start at this plate. This is verses 1 and 2, so read along with me. This is his intro. Here we go. Ready? All together. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever that you have established your faithfulness in heaven itself. Now again, this would have been sung and that that really sounds like a worship song, doesn't it? The psalm starts with the establishing of a a foundation really for the rest of the song. And that foundation is the forever love of God. And, And the Hebrew word that's used, you can see there, the Hebrew word for love is this word chesed chesed, that's how you're, it's one of those throat-clearing words, but, but chesed is one of these words that it's, it's such a vast word, it's really hard to define, and this is a definition I think is super helpful, is that chesed is, is loyal love. That's a real beautiful, beautiful two words, loyal love, and so the song starts with a reminder, with uh, establishing the foundation of the loyal love that God has for his people, Then it moves into this beautiful uh, hymn of praise, verses 5 through 18. And again, I'm going to invite you to read with me. And I've just pulled some of the verses out of it. So let's read this together. It says, the heavens praise your wonders, Lord, who is like the Lord among the heavenly beings. You, Lord, are mighty and your faithfulness surrounds you. You rule over the surging sea. The heavens are yours and yours also the earth. Your arm is endowed with power. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. You are the Holy One. See, I stopped to see. Are they reading? Because I can't hear him. But I, you are. That's good. So that, now that sounds a lot like a, like a worship song, right? Uh, on that foundation of God's loyal love, the writer is now really declaring, again, in a beautiful way, just the wonders of who God is, and then he continues in verse nineteen through thirty seven uh, let's read this again. verses eighteen to, or sorry, nineteen to twenty one say this altogether. I have raised up a young man from among the people. I have found David, my servant, with my sacred oil, I have anointed him. my hand will sustain him. I will establish his line forever. His throne as long as the heavens endure. Now, uh, when we read that, wouldn't you agree that that sounds sounds, uh, a little less like the worship songs uh, we sing? In in this section, uh, uh, hopefully you've noticed that it goes from the perspective of the songwriter, and it actually shifts to God's perspective. This is God now speaking. God, you know, this God who loves us with a forever loyal love, uh, uh, who is wonderful, powerful, beyond our understanding. He is now declaring his promises to David and his descendants. And understand that to us, when we talk about King David, I don't know, maybe you think of Richard Gere, if you ever saw that movie. But I mean, when we think of King David, we think, yeah, yeah, he's a significant guy in the Bible. But to the Israelites, King David, he represented like the, the pinnacle of the, of the Israelite nation, like the glory days of Israel. When they talk about King David, that's what they're thinking about. Like when, when, they, when they were experiencing the nearness, the goodness, the blessings of God, you know, just in a very real, a very uh, tangible way, the signs of God's loyal love, right, permeated everything about them as a people, their economy, uh, bountiful crops, battle victories. But more than that, there was a, There was like this this corporate sense as a people during this time of just knowing that all was right, all was well between them and God. But then in this section, God seems to take a really hard right. Let's read this together. Verse 30, but if his sons forsake my law and do not follow my statutes, if they violate my decrees and fail to keep my commands... I will punish their sin with the rod, their iniquity with flogging, but I will not take my love from him, nor will I ever betray my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter what my lips have uttered. Now, does that sound like a worship song to you? Right, I mean, we sing so much of the loyal love of God. We sing of the, you know, the wonders of God. We sing of the promises that God has made, but I cannot think... I don't think I can think of any songs, worship songs, that declare our responsibility to obey him. That declare, you know, if we don't obey him, his commitment to punish us. We don't have a lot of songs like that, do we? We don't. And and notice that it's not, in this psalm, it's not like we mess up, he gets angry, he flogs us, there's an image for you, and then he goes, I'm done with you, and he abandons us. That's, that's not what happens. That's not at all what happens. What it does say, verse 33, God is saying this, but I, God says, I will not take my love, my loyal love from him, nor will I ever betray my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter what my lips have uttered. God is able to correct and love us at the same time. And when I look at that, I go, wow. Wow. Oh, that's amazing to me, because I think back to when I was, especially when I was a young father, boy, I struggled to find the middle ground when it came to parenting. I'm sure you can relate if you're a parent. Uh, You know, I sort of went from this place of, I'm your buddy, or I'm your boss, and I'm a really hard-to-please boss. And so when I would look back on a lot of my parenting, I rarely, rarely parented from that you know that healthy place of middle ground it was either i was too passive or i was too strong does that make sense any can anyone relate to that we're all we'll have another support group after uh... <clears throat> but but god god is a perfect parent like he is able to parent you from a place of of perfect love and a place of perfect justice. In fact, in fact, the Bible teaches that when God corrects us, when he disciplines us, it actually is a sign of his loyal love for you. Proverbs 3.11 says, my child, don't reject the Lord's discipline and don't be upset when he corrects you. For the Lord corrects those he loves just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. God is able to correct and love us at the same time. And, you know, let's be honest. Sometimes in our lives, we, we choose our own path and we totally ignore God's parenting or God's guidance. And consequently, we find ourselves in a mess of our own making. And the truth is, he didn't do it to us. We, we did it to ourselves. And yet, I'll just speak from my own life, but I think I'm speaking for more than myself. And yet many times, even in those places, we still blame him. And we still uh, question his love, his faithfulness, his commitment as we stand in the mess of our own making. And yet, and here's this loyal, the loyal love of God, he does not respond in kind. Something that amazes me about God is he does not abandon us. He's the, you know, thing of the prodigal son, think of the father, what does he do? You know, because of his loyal love, he pursues you. He gathers you up. He corrects you, yes. And, and he washes us clean and he, you know, and he sets us in a place he restores us to a place of sonship of daughtership. That's the loyal love of God and, and so again, his correction, his discipline are all to remind us that hey, you are mine and I am committed. I am committed to the work that I've started that I've started in you. So the psalmist has established God's loyal love, his greatness his promises to David and his descendants followed by a warning of the necessity of their obedience. And then he continues by getting very raw and very honest. And we switch back to the perspective of the psalmist. This is verses 38 to 51. And I alluded to this earlier. This is the section of the psalm. This is the section of the psalm where he really, the psalmist is really now talking about the current events. He's talking about their their situation, their their place of exile in Babylon. And, And again, I've pulled some of the verses, so let's read this together. Here we go. But you have rejected, you have spurned, you have been very angry with your anointed one. You have broken through all his walls and reduced his strongholds to ruins. You have exalted the right hand of his foes. You have made all his enemies rejoice. How long, Lord? Will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? Lord, where is your former great love, which in your faithfulness you swore to David? Now, does that sound like a worship song? I mean, you're not going to hear that in the river. Next up in the river, number 14. God, why do you keep breaking your promises? Like, it's like, you know, I've, not, I've never heard of a, I mean, it's very rare to find a song like this that, that is what we call a lament. And a lament is an expression of grief, an expression of sorrow. And can't you, even in the little sections that we, that we pulled out there, can't you get a sense of the psalmist, of the people's, uh, that, that their world is falling apart? Don't you get a sense in that for, for the people, for the psalmist, that their faith in God is being rattled to the core? And I wonder, have there ever been times in your life where, oh, boy, you could have sung a song like that? Has there ever been a season in your life where, uh, boy, I could have used a song to just to be able to say, where are you, God? Why, why are my enemies? Why Why are, Why? are? does it seem like you're helping them and not me? Have you ever been in a place, maybe you're in a place like that right now, where a song of lament would really capture what's going on in, in, in your life and your family or whatever the situation, you know, and I, I remember years ago when we lived down, we still live down in Westerville, and uh, we were going through a really hard time as a family. And my faith, was being uh, shaken, rattled to the core. And I remember in that time just feeling so alone and, and sort of like the psalmist, it seemed like, it felt like in that time that God, instead of helping us, it felt like he was actually hiding from us. And to, to, to that, just even the thought of separation from God, I think has to be the scariest place. In fact, I think that's hell. To be separated from God. That sounds like hell to me. And and so I was driving during that time. I was driving on 270. And I was trying to process all that we're going through. Trying to figure it out. And I was afraid, I felt uh, condemned, I felt confused, I felt overwhelmed, Uh, I I just, I had all these different uh, feelings going off inside of me and I was trying to pray, I was trying to talk to God, I I was struggling to find the language. Uh, and, And all that came out of me as I was driving was a yell. And I just yelled so loud. In the car that I actually I scared myself, and I actually damaged my voice. I was hoarse for the rest of the day and and i thought what what is that? How long has that been in there where Where did that come from and and you know it, it was it was such a weird moment because you know, I'm, I'm, it's very intense. And, and in a moment like that, I, as I think back to it, I did not feel condemned at all by God. In fact, and it wasn't like a Disney where suddenly, you know, a robin landed on my shoulder and we started whistling. It wasn't like that. But I had this little tiny sense in that moment of God's presence, of his yell with those who yell, of his I'm a God who I lament with those who lament. I'm a God who I weep with those who weep. I just had a sense of of his presence. And one of the things that I love about the Psalms is that the, the Psalms, through the Psalms, God gives us permission to be very raw and very honest with him. And you know, come on, God knows what you're thinking. He knows what you're feeling. And, and he looks at you and he's like, you know, you'd actually, you'd feel a lot better if you got that out, right? If you just let her rip. And I'm not saying, you know, well, maybe go for a drive on 270 today. And it's, but, but what I mean is God sees what's in us and understand that to express those fears and doubts and all those things, a lament is not a lack of faith. To say, where are you, God? That's not a lack of faith. That's not a, that's not a failure to say that. I actually would say, That's a sign of great faith. That's a sign of great expectation regarding the character, regarding the promises, regarding the loyal love of God. God wants honesty. He wants wants us to be real with him. And I think one of the symptoms of an unhealthy church is lukewarmness in our worship, in our prayers, in our expectations of God. And when I say lukewarm, I don't mean you feel flat or dull, because let's be honest, that's part, of the, that's part of the human condition. What I mean is more what I'm talking about. It's, it's when we're not being honest with God. It's when we're just going through the motions, the Psalms. Through the Psalms, God calls us out of our lukewarmness into a place of, hey, son, daughter, just be honest with me. Be real with me. If you're in a really good place, let it rip, right? Or if you're in a really hard place, go for a drive in 270. Like, let it it rip. Whatever your condition, God says, I accept you. Whatever your condition, God says, I love you. Whatever your condition, questioning everything about him, doubting him, whatever it is, the heart of God, the loyal love heart of God is, child, come to me. Let's Let's talk. And it's amazing in this psalm, after that raw lament, that the final verse of the psalm just doesn't make sense to me. And the final verse of the psalm is believed to have been added later, is more of like this grammatical uh, phrase, and it's called a closing doxology. So let's read this together. This is the final verse together. It says this Praise be to the Lord forever. Amen and amen. Now, doesn't that sound strange to your ears after, like, after a lament? Where are you? Why are you hiding from me? Why do you keep breaking your promises? God, let me wrap this up with praise you forever. Like, that doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't, that doesn't seem where this should go. Because in my need to be in control, Western mind, like need to understand, need an explanation. It's like, no, I don't think it's time to praise him because we we don't have an answer. Like, we, we, it's like, it hasn't been resolved. God hasn't said, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Let me explain what's going on. Let me tell you what's going on here. Oh, okay, now I can praise you. No, that's not what, it, that's not what happens. And in some ways, it almost looks like the psalmist or the people are sort of left, flapping in this, flapping in the wind, sort of suspended in this no man's land. But I don't think that's the case at all. I think in this final verse, what really is going on is we are being directed back to the beginning of the psalm. I asked this question earlier, is it possible to live this life from a place of celebrating and waiting both at the same time? And I said something like, "You know, because it's the condition we all live with, this side of heaven, well then it has to be possible, doesn't it? And to that I would say, yes. Yes, it is possible. Well then a good question would be how? How is it possible to live this life in a healthy way, in this place of celebrating and waiting at the same time. Well, this Psalm teaches us this. It's possible if the thing you're celebrating is greater than your circumstance or your place of waiting. Does that make sense? It's possible if the thing you're celebrating actually eclipses, eclipses your place of waiting. See, this psalm in, its, in its, both its words and its structure, it really touches on and really is trying to help us discover and learn that in this life, in this life, that the, the loyal love of God is to be our constant foundation. It's to be the place we always run to. I read this somewhere that, you know, you, you don't ever want to build your life on anything that you can lose. Right? You can lose your money you can lose your health. You can lose your look. You can lose your whatever it is, but but you cannot lose the loyal love of God. And, you know, just in the context of what we're talking about, I was thinking this week, you know, when God made us as human beings, do you, you know, when's the last time you thought about this, that he made us as eternal beings, right? Like You know, uh, this, this body that I have, if, if Jesus, you know, if I, if Jesus doesn't come back before I die, well, then this body is just going to break down and I am going to die. But that's not the end of me because I'm an eternal being. Listen to this quote. We are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Think about that. Like So, so that's true. That means then that this, however long our time is on earth, it really is more like this field trip that God is taking us on with the primary goal of all of us discovering and learning in this life to live on that foundation of God's loyal love, to constantly be running back to that place of his loyal love. In this psalm, again written by someone, probably written by someone in exile, you know, struggling to find God in the midst of the struggle. Notice that the he doesn't start the psalm with the circumstance, but he starts the song with with the truth. Let's read the Let's read the introduction again, verses one and two, nice and loud. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth, I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever, that you have established your faithfulness in heaven itself. That's where he starts. And then he moves to, you know, declaring the wonders of God. And then he moves to the promises. And then he moves to, you know, our need to stay in step with God. And then he moves to the circumstances, to the hard place, to the confusing place. But again, notice he doesn't stay in that place. That's the beauty of that final verse, that final verse sort of like, it's almost like that final verse is saying, lather, rinse, repeat, right? Like, like you need to go back to the beginning, right? You need to go back to the beginning. And so, in, so as to say in this life, God wants to help us learn how to focus more on the truth of who he is than on the experience of our, of our struggle. And I would go so far to say that this Psalm really is teaching us that actually God wants to teach us in this life, how to value, how to value the hard times in our lives, what? Why would you do that? Well, because they are an opportunity to, just, to discover this loyal love of God. And think about that. You know, most of the people in this room, you're spending a chunk of your income every month, every year on insurance, right? Uh, health insurance, home insurance, car insurance, pet insurance, like all these insurances we can get. And the truth is you really don't know how good that insurance is until you come into a hard time. And when you go through a struggle, you, that's when you find out whether that insurance is, is good, uh, good insurance or, or not. So why don't we have the worship team come back? Let me, let me end with this. Look at this picture. Who's that? You're right, Charles Spurgeon. Charles Haddon Spurgeon. That guy, uh, Charles Spurgeon, uh, he's a British man, lived between 1834 to ni- 1892. That guy's considered to have been one of the greatest preachers of all time. He is the goat. He's the goat. He's the greatest of all, of all time in his lifetime. Again, in the 1800s, this guy preached to more than 10 million people, it's estimated. His 3,651 sermons are bound in 63 volumes. His sermons were often printed on the front page of both the London and New York Times. He's this amazing, amazing man. But at the same time, Charles Spurgeon also experienced many hardships in his life. Uh, Because of illness, his wife, Susanna, was bedridden for decades. Decades. He had numerous chronic illnesses. He had gout. uh, He had kidney issues. He struggled with chronic depression. He called depression the black dog of depression. And in light of all that, listen to this quote from Spurgeon. He says this. I've learned to kiss the wave that throws me up against the rock of ages. And understand that might not be a familiar term, the rock of ages, but that's referring to God. He's often referred to the rock, the solid rock. Spurgeon is saying, I've learned to kiss the wave that throws me up against the rock of ages. And understand that he's not saying that, that he's not kissing that wave because he loves the wave. Right? He's, not, he's not kissing this, that because he, he loves the struggle or that suddenly evil is good. That's not what he's saying. And you know, as the King James would say about evil, it doth sucketh, right? And so what he's saying is, what he's saying is no matter how hard or how unfair, if it's gonna move me closer to God and his loyal love, well then, well then I will embrace that opportunity. Not that thing, but I will embrace that opportunity because he has learned all that this guy went through. He has learned that there's just nothing else in this life like the loyal love of God. And, and again, in this field trip, I believe that is one of the foundational things God wants to teach us, teach us that we could get to the end of our lives and why don't we end with, let's read this together. Romans 8, 38. And I am convinced